Welcome to the Play Hard, Work Hard Morning Show. My name is Jason Spies, and we are after hours here at the hotel because Dustin Goverlow of the North Dakota Watchdog Network just got done with his Renaissance meeting. And, whoo, boy, his uh, schedule's busy week. And uh, we were going to originally talk about the Greta Thunberg mural mm-hmm. that had a connection with the Renaissance board that you sit on. Yes. But we got trumped. Yeah. I mean, bergamed. Yeah. Okay. So, bergamed. Uh, Dustin Goverlow's on from the North Dakota Watchdog Network. Of course, we just interviewed him a week, week and a half ago. But with big news, big news, because at the Williston Basin Petroleum Conference this week, North Dakota governor got up on stage and addressed the crowd. And just, I mean, all I'm doing is, is reading the headline, basically, is that the state needs or must be carbon neutral by 2030. And that, of course, was kind of a bombshell. And I'll, tell, I'll talk about the mixed bag of reviews that I got in the exhibition hall and why I did not leave very much. But, uh, Dustin, how are you doing? I'm doing great. Well, thanks for coming out to the hotel here and <laughs> accommodating your schedule here for the work hard portion of the morning show. By the way, we had a television meeting oh yeah things went well good so we're going to be exploring some additional opportunities which i know you will be a part of absolutely now with with zoom and everything it makes doing something like that a lot easier than it used to absolutely and it's going to be energy centric Mm -hmm. and you're you're not an energy guy you're just a i keep tabs on the legislature in north dakota specifically and subsidies and you know, give the 30-second pitch again what you guys do. Yeah, well, the North Dakota Watchdog Network uh, is a taxpayer advocacy group. We are a 501c3. We uh, uh, are, are donor-funded, privately funded, take no government money, and we keep an eye on government. Uh, we support policies that lead to less taxes, less government, less spending, and more accountability for uh, the tax dollars that are spent. And you know, I, I, I am an energy, energy guy only because I have to because that's so much of North Dakota policy. But uh, the primary focus is, is um, when it comes to this sort of thing lately, is opposing the whole corporate welfare agenda that, that permeates uh, all sides of the spectrum. Both sides say they're against it, but at the same time, both sides support the types of corporate welfare for the industries that they like. I forget. Are you political, non-political? I mean, are you a you know a, a nonprofit with a specific mission that says, "Hey, we're not political, but this is what we do." Yeah, yeah, we're a five hundred one c three tax deductible organization recognized by the IRS. So uh, uh, we are nonpartisan, and because we're in North Dakota, uh, you know, obviously we only have Republicans to go after. And what's funny about that is back in 2012, when we, when we uh, were uh, pursuing our 501c3 status, we got lumped in with the Tea Party orgs that the Obama administration was uh, putting up walls and, and stonewalling as far as them getting their permission to operate. Uh, and uh, they forced us to send all sorts of documentation about the kinds of work that we'd done under our previous name of North Dakota Taxpayers Association. And because they thought we were just another, you know, Republican shill operation. 
And when we showed them that, you know, about 80% of material that, that we put out is actually critical of Republicans, we got our 501c3 status in about two weeks after that, after waiting 14 months. Uh, so by the very fact that it's Republicans who are in charge, that's who we, we are generally critical of. You know, I always like to say it, I, I would like to go after Democrats more, but there just aren't enough of them in North Dakota to go after. Well, you wait. <laughs> apparently, some of the Republicans are turning into Democrats right before our eyes. They because are. Because I heard the term rhino again at the mm -hmm. conference. That is a Republican in name only. Correct. Okay, and then there's, what are the other splits that are going on, or the factions, if you splits, I guess, would is a leading term, and I'm trying to have my journalism hat on here somewhat. Uh, what, what are some of the factions besides Rhino that are in the North Dakota parties right now? I heard a new one. Uh, Butterbean or no? Bastiag. Bastiag, that's it. <laughs> what, what was it? I don't know where, but I knew it was a B. I couldn't remember what it <laughs> yeah, was. Yeah, Bastiag is, is a group that uh, uh, State Rep Rick Becker uh, created uh, a few sessions ago. Uh, the intention was to be the more libertarian-leaning uh wing of the Re Republican Party, and the name comes from Fred Frederick Bastiat, who wrote the, the, the uh, book The Law, which is the whole idea of that a republic must be governed by the rule of law rather than the rule of men, and, and the idea of rule of law kind of comes from that sort of uh, era. He was a French revolutionary era writer, and, and that's who... Uh, Rick Becker decided to uh, name his group after, and uh, it's a different name. It is, it is, and and initially I would have voted. I would have voted no on, <laughs> on the name. Well, honestly, it's a it's a it's a difficult name. Yeah, and it's a it sounds sounds foreign out of the gate. Yes, it, it does, and and it's kind of a clicky thing. And by foreign, I don't mean like anything just unusual that's all i mean just just right. to the average person around here that's yeah. like oh where's that it's, it's there's too many questions right away so sorry sorry mr becker but that's <laughs> i'm not to be critical on it but it, and i think he was going for a more, much more intellectual know, approach get and that. and that's where you know that you go with that otherwise i mean if you try to to commandeer the reagan name then you're going to be criticized for that you know you're determining that uh he could have gone with probably goldwater because that's where he's at personally is is kind of the goldwater wing of the party but uh you know he went with this uh i mean he could have gone with hayek you know road to serfdom he could have gone with um all sorts of different uh uh, Ooh, I vote. In, I, I vote. I vote Goldwater. Yeah, I think Goldwater would have would have gone a little bit more. Again, but I'm sure he wanted to do be new. He wanted to try. And you yeah. know what? I I I didn't realize this was a uh, kind of an organized effort. But I applaud him for trying something new. I mean, you, right now we're in a time when you have to try new things because the norm is not working. Yeah, and 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 his group is nothing really new before. It existed. When I started, it was called the Red Light District. They were the people that voted no on everything. You pushed the red light. Prior to that, you would call them the, the hardliners. Uh, you know, during the, the John Dorso years, it would have been the hardliners, or maybe the Red Light District was still being used, or was being used then. But there's always a faction of the Republican Party that, that wants it to be more conservative. You go back even further in North Dakota history, back in the 50s, 
uh, 40s and 50s when the, the NPL was still in control of the Republican Party because North Dakota was one of the few states where the socialists took over the Republican Party in the, the 19-teens uh, and controlled the Republican Party for 30-some years. And in the 50s, you had what was called the Republican Organizing Committee, ROC, uh, pushed the NPLers out of the party, and, and that's how they ended up going and taking over the Dem Democratic Party. And, and that is what cost Republicans the majority in North Dakota for another 30-some years because the NPLers were actually the ones that controlled the state. They, they didn't really care what party they were attached to, and, and uh, once they moved over, the, the Democrats were in charge of North Dakota, mostly until uh, Ed Schaefer came in. Ed Schaefer's dad, Mr. Bubbles. Yeah. Right? Mm -hmm. Probably uh, him and Gary Theraldson, two of the greatest entrepreneurs in the history of North Dakota. Yeah, absolutely. As far as, you know, business-wise and everything, that, that's as far as my uh, history lesson and what I've always been taught and told when it came to business. Uh, let's uh, move into Bergam a little bit. You know, I just got done saying trying something new good for you and here Bergham's trying something new mm -hmm. and I'm not as quick to say good for you on this one <laughs> and you're really not as quick in fact you're so quick to say not good for you you sent out a bunch of uh or not a bunch but you got a bunch of subscribers because my phone my phone blew up with your newsletter so what what was in your new I haven't read it yet what's going on with your newsletter well uh, I was just pointing out that uh, Governor Doug Burgum is playing both sides on the energy and environmental issues on the one hand during the session he his lieutenant governor his commerce commissioner all were pushing for the what I called the coal bailout agenda uh, which mostly passed uh, where you had a, the creation of uh, a new government agency called the Clean and Sustainable Energy Fund. It's got $25 million to start with. It's got a permanent uh, appropriation from the Legacy Fund earnings, plus it's got a $250 million line of credit from the Bank of North Dakota. So it is going to be a new, large expansion of government, which is the kind of thing that Republicans are typically against. At least they say so. Uh, yesterday, he came out and declared that that it's his mission and his goal that the state of North Dakota be carbon neutral by 2030, uh, which is very much in line with you know the the left wing environmentalist groups. Uh, it's in line with Minnesota, which is the the cause of our our, our problems as far as exporting electricity. Uh, they don't want coal based electricity. We've got. Uh, a, a, an administration in North Dakota that believes that if they can pull the carbon off of the the, the coal emissions, that somehow Minnesota is going to keep buying our power so we can keep the power plants open, even though they they say just as much they're they're against the fossil fuel side of it just as much as the carbon output side of it. So there's no guarantee that any of this is going to work, and and so we're funding the the agenda to prop up coal, and now all of a sudden after the session is over. The governor is saying, oh, by the way, in the next decade, we're going to be carbon neutral as well. And so we're going to fund we're somehow going to have to fund that side of the uh, the ledger. It's, it's so taxpayers are going to be footing the bill and essentially funding both sides of this war for, for 10 years. And, and it's it's not very practical because you, you look at how long have we been talking about the flaring problem? The state hasn't been able to take that under control. Um the idea that somehow we're going to to completely change the economic makeup of the state in 10 years 
even if you had an unlimited budget, which we don't, uh, is really unrealistic. Um, you know, it's nice to talk about, but this is really a political pandering thing. And, and he's been pandering to the, the Trump side of the aisle for the last four years. And now he's going to pander to the left wing side of the aisle and, and try to have it both ways. And, you know, it takes a certain kind of politician to pull that off. And it'll be interesting to see if he can do it. Was there anything that stood out to you as far as uh, what he said in his address that you mentioned the Minnesota tie that, mm-hmm. you know, uh, there must have been something or some either a trigger word or a trigger phrase or, you know, some tea leaves in there, if you will. Uh, what was it that kind of stood out to you as, okay, we better really pay attention to that? Was it the 2030? It's the 2030 thing. And the fact that we, the, the last legislative session spent so much time on figuring out how to bail out the coal industry. I mean, they're, they're exempting the coal industry from 85% of their tax uh, uh, liability for the next five years because they're not competitive. They're creating the, coal, the clean, energy, clean and Sustainable Energy Fund so that the state can subsidize all of these CO2 projects to make coal more competitive. And so they're going in a direction of supporting the existing uh, infrastructure and the existing industry uh, which if they now are going to put money towards actually the green side of it, which is another subsidy, the more money you subsidize the green side of the equation, though it's going to even more compound the need for money on the coal side. So th- this is, this is a, a project that they're, they're pursuing, and uh, there's no talk of about how much it's going to cost, what it's actually going to look like. But, you know, in, in, Everything that I've seen, we could easily squander the entire legacy fund and, and get nowhere. I was going to ask you about that. If the legacy fund is going to save the day with all the same people that got us into the mess, oh, that's where the money's going to go. Yeah. 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 I mean, the, the legacy fund. The same it, people it, that have been getting it the last 10, 20 years, right? Mm-hmm. That's kind of that's the same MO. I mean, I, I know I'm being cynical. But at the same time, if you touch that hot stove every time it's red, you just don't touch the stove anymore. Right. Yeah, yeah. It 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 is interesting. You know, in the last ten years since the voters approved the legacy fund, the idea of what it should be for has drastically changed. When when it was being proposed and sold to the public, we were talking about things like we're going to use it for abolishing the state income tax, abolishing. Uh, parts of the property tax, like the state paying 100% of education so that that's no longer on your property tax bill, uh, f- freezing the, uh, the tuition cost for North Dakota high school graduates when they go to college so that they're not leaving college with twenty, thirty, forty thousand dollars $40,000 worth of debt just from their four-year degree. Those were the types of things that were being discussed for the legacy fund. It was not a plan to bail out the coal industry or to prop up the green industry. And apparently now uh, it's been decided that it's going to do those sorts of things, which uh, are moving targets. You know, we can't afford this arms race. The state of North Dakota can't fight bad federal policy and bad Minnesota policy. And we certainly shouldn't use taxpayer dollars or the legacy fund to do it. We should be focusing on our own uh 
our own people and reducing the cost and, and burden of government for our own people instead of these pie-in-the-sky ideas. I'll tell you where he's pandering right now. I'll even tell you the pie-in-the-sky as well as the uh, playing to the left because he's living in the planet of platitudes. I'll tell you why. Folks, I often refer to the planet of platitudes in the realm of reality. A lot of people that are addressing this climate change and enabling it versus earth changes. Remember, there was a thing called Pangea. We no longer have Pangea. The earth goes through changes. There are a lot of core samples that prove this. That's why when I say enabling climate change, that's what I'm referring to. Now, getting to what I'm talking about with Doug Burgum playing both sides here, because I, I, think, I think you're right on this, and I'm going to give you my example. Very simple one. Doug Burgum said at the Williston Basin Conference, the 2021 Williston Basin Conference in Bismarck, North Dakota, here's coming from the press release. I think you got the same one for Mike mm-hmm. Nowatsky. I imagine it's Mike Nowatsky who sent it, yeah. Uh, former reporter for the forum. Yep. Good guy. Of the states, North Dakota, and this is quote here, of the state, North Dakota is among the best positioned to help our country and our world transition into an economically feasible way to carbon-constrained future while providing reliable, resilient, and affordable energy. Full of buzzwords, isn't it? Oh, boy, yeah. everybody loves hearing that. Hang on, I'm, I'm going to continue here. Burgum said, adding... A longer-term goal would be to create a vision for how North Dakota could become the nation's first carbon-negative state. (laughs) Okay, right there, I'm going to stop. He's got a quote coming up next, which I haven't even read yet because I got very nauseated after that period. Because what he did there is he is acting just like the climate activist extremists. And I'm calling it out right now, okay? Because... We haven't even figured out a plan to get carbon neutral by next century. 2050, okay? And he's already putting the seed in people's mind that we're going to be carbon neutral? You see what I mean? negative. No, that's what I mean. Carbon negative. Carbon negative. Thank you. That's moving the goalposts even further than than AOCU moves it. That that is a planet of platitude Mm -hmm. pandering. That is an example right there. That we haven't even got a plan yet for the problem that the people saw that create the problem that they created. Well, let's just give them ice cream and toppings too. I mean, right. I, I can't. I like I said, I get nauseated just reading it. So this is all fresh here, folks. Sound of fury, sound and fury signifying nothing. Isn't that what Shakespeare said? This is all fresh here. So you're getting yeah. you're getting raw processed here, folks. Well, I, I was telling Dustin that I haven't even posted this on our website yet, and we post the web, we post these press releases because we're, we're not, you know, we're not here to editorialize on this stuff. This is according to the government. This is yeah. this is the official source. People need to see their own words. I mean, it, frankly, yes. frankly, that that press release says more than any of my commentary can even say. I, I totally agree. That's that's why I do it is because yeah. all we're going to do is point out the way we're processing it and that's what i'm doing right now i don't even know what his next quote is okay first of all what got me irate let's let's back up okay adding a longer term goal would be to create a vision for how north dakota could become the nation's first carbon negative state all right now comes the quote 
We won't achieve this goal with federal mandates or state regulations. The only way we'll achieve this goal is through innovation. Wow. Okay, I don't even want to read anymore right now. The okay. only innovation that is going to get us to carbon negative is if cold fusion is perfected in the next 10 to 20 years. That's the only thing. I mean, what we're finding out is Doug Burgum is going to give North Dakota his own Green New Deal, and we didn't even, did not even have to elect Democrats to do it. We won't even achieve this goal with the federal mandates or state regulations. The only way we'll achieve this goal is through innovation, a la Legacy Fund. It's not innovation. If it, it, he just said there's, we're not going to do it with government mandates and, and regulation, and then he cites a legacy fund? No, no, no. No, I'm saying through. he says oh. through innovation. Oh. But the last two weeks, that's what they've been pushing for the legacy yeah. fund. Yeah. It's for innovation and young startup entrepreneurs, blah, 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 this and that. I, for yeah. me, I'm just connecting those two dots. Yeah. I'm just being my little cynical journalist right now. That's all I'm doing. Um, okay, I'm going to read on here. <laughs> now that I've just ruined it. <laughs> Bergam credited the oil and gas industry for contributing to North Dakota's growth over the last decade. Okay, never mind. We're just pandering now. He's just, it's yeah. a copy and paste session there. Okay, right. so um, I, I agree with you. I do think he's playing both sides. Okay, I think you have more than enough facts based on that press release. Mm -hmm. Whether you even attended the thing or not based on the press release, I read half of it. More than enough evidence to say he's playing both sides. So uh, I let, will give him credit for one thing. Oh, to give him credit for a lot of things because he, he has he, done a lot of good. He, in he walked into the lion's den and he said it. I mean, this is not something he, that you would normally say at the petroleum council. This is something you'd say at some, you know, interesting rally you that talk you, about that. Okay, because mixed bag time. I, I, I teased the mixed bag earlier, right? Well, I when when I I got actually the the text from you. Mm -hmm. And then I got 15 other texts <laughs> about it. You were the first one by a good half hour, by the way. Yeah. So I, I usually am. I started getting these texts coming in. And um, so I started asking people. I started asking people off the record, though. I was just, I, I didn't feel it was appropriate. I maybe asked Continental. I can't remember. I think I might have asked, an, you know, kind of a heavyweight, somebody mm -hmm. who I thought could handle it, but you don't want to ask somebody that's over their head. Um, so most of the people, and I'm serious, most, didn't even know it happened. <laughs> and we were I was in the exhibit hall the whole time. I didn't even leave the booth for more than 20 minutes just to go to the bathroom, right? We, had, we were like an airline hangar just coming and going, mm -hmm. coming and going with interviews, Sean Forbes and myself. Jenica Hauser was the one getting all the interviews. By the way, she got the first question with Mike Pompeo. And she asked him about climate tax. Mm -hmm. So proud of her for doing that because possibly the biggest tax on the planet is about to happen and no one is having the discussion. Not even for it, against it. It's just like it's happening and they're just giving us kind of the fait accompli, I think it's called. The Here we go. Here's your memo. Here's how it's going to go. So anyways, we'll get back and, to and that. And that is because the industry itself has decided in the last 10 years that they want something like that. They want a carbon tax system. Ten years ago, so many of us fought against the, the cap-and-trade proposal under Obama. That included industry. Now, all of a sudden, industry has found out that, hey, if we do this our way, we can make the accounting work. And so now they're supporting it. Like, things are flipping. This is, this is part of the realignment of the political system. Big business is not 
in the pocket of Republicans anymore. And 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 the Republicans ha- don't even realize that it's happening. So I'm going to cap and trade, okay? Mm-hmm. That's where we're going to go next. You brought that up, and my point was well gone a while ago. So I grew up in agriculture. So I heard at dinner and saw before my eyes and listened to the aunts and uncles at, at Thanksgiving talk about how the grocery store replaced the farmer. And then I worked in the media, and actually, I, I went through four recessions, survived three. <laughs> this last one I survived in 2015, 2001, two, three, that recession, and 2009, nope, lost my business. So, But that's the one that took out the newspaper, mm-hmm. okay? So that was more specifically towards the newspaper industry, and we also had a real estate publication, so we got double whammied, okay? Now... What I learned, though, was the government bailed out the big guys, okay? Mm-hmm. And what I learned is that, you know, if, if you were NBC and RCA, all these big guys, you know, you got bailed out. Well, the cable companies had to rely on their own money and their own innovation, mm-hmm. and they won, okay? And then the next go-around, same thing kind of happened where the big guys got bailed out, and uh, you had to use your own innovation and your own money. Well, this go-around is a little different. This one is almost like the internet took out the newspaper industry. You know, I mean, look, look at after they came out about 10 years later, you had a just almost every daily declaring bankruptcy or going down to a few days a week. So paradigm shift, paradigm shift, paradigm shift, right? The grocery store took out the farmer. The internet took out the newspaper. And now the light switch is taking out the energy worker, primarily the oil, gas, and coal worker. Okay. Mm-hmm. And... It reminds me that you used to uh, do cap and trade stuff. Is that where you got? Isn't that where you got your start? Because I think that's where you and I met. As you were stumping for against cap and trade, or educating, or doing some awareness. What's that Uh, history? Well, well, before that, I was the point person in North Dakota against Obamacare for the U.S. Chamber. When I was running the North Dakota Taxpayers Association, uh, the U.S. Chamber approached me about being part of their campaign against Obamacare. And, and, oh, and, that's right. And then that, after Obamacare, rolled into the cap-and-trade campaign, and, and everybody, all the Republicans, conservatives, industry, everybody was against cap-and-trade. We killed that thing quickly. Uh, that fight lasted six months, and they gave up. So just a very brief version, what is cap-and-trade? Cap-and-trade was the idea that we're going to create some imaginary derivatives on some market that that people who are in the business of reducing carbon can sell to people and companies that are in the business of creating carbon. It's kind of like the cafe credits for automobiles where, uh, you know, the the, uh, the example in North Dakota, when I was in college, I worked at the the Global Electric Motor Car Company, they built the, the little glorified golf carts, $10,000, $15,000 carts. They created them, and it was bought by Chrysler at the time. It's passed through several hands since then. But Chrysler bought it so that they could get tax credits because they were electric cars, little tiny things, not like we have now. Uh, and, and for every electric car that they made, they got credit towards building their V10 Hemi Dodge, Dodge Ram that got seven miles a gallon. And, and in order to be able to make those pickups, they had to make X number of these cars. It didn't even matter if the car sold. It was all about creating it and having it available. That got you the credit. 
Uh, Are you telling me that that gem car guy in Fargo is? He was getting subsidized to build those things. He wasn't getting subsidized that I know of, or but, forced. But but he was in actuality he was subsidizing Chrysler. No, that's what I'm saying. But yeah. but Chrysler was getting forced to. Oh yeah, yeah. To like, buy from but. Okay. Because the, the cafe standards were all based on these the same sort of credits. And, and so the, the cap-and-trade deal No, was, I didn't realize that. I actually thought there was a legitimate market for those golf carts. They were just like a turbo tur, turbo uh, rough golf cart, basically. Yeah, yeah. A little, little bit thicker of a golf cart is yeah. what it was. Yeah, I, I worked in 2002, late 2002, I worked on the assembly line, actually putting them together for about three yeah, months. Yeah, it wasn't a bad idea for people who just wanted to drive to the market and back yeah. and, and work. It was it was meant for you know ten retirement miles communities. A day. The the idea yeah. was you'd have gated retirement communities where you would park your regular car in the community garage. Oh, that's right. Yeah, and then you'd have these in the inside, so there mm-hmm. nobody's getting run over. There's nobody driving fast. Oh, you save a small fortune on roads. Yeah, yeah. yeah. You you can build sidewalks instead of roads. Right. Basically. All kinds of great things. Yeah. Absolutely. So so yeah, the, the, there was it. It was a a good niche idea. From from the in, from their innovation standpoint, from a business standpoint, Chrysler was using them for those credits to make the inefficient vehicles on the other side. Totally get it. My my point was is I didn't realize it was an inflated marketplace. Mm-hmm. Okay, I wish they would have taught me that <laughs> when I was going to NDSU. Yeah, because that is an inflated marketplace where if I actually think that marketplace is real. And invest my life savings into it back then. Well, I would have been bankrupt five times over. What's the gem cars doing now? I believe it, last I heard, it was owned by Polaris. I don't even know where they stand now. If they if they're building them, I don't think that they're not Tesla. I, they're not they're, Tesla. They're, they're not competitive at all. No, but they, they they've been getting what business for how long through forced government regulations and subsidies? Yeah, yeah, and and it's just like you look at the wind towers. For so long, you know, the production tax credit on the wind towers was basically fifty percent of what it cost to put the thing up. So even if if it costs you a million dollars to put it up, you're getting half of that back in tax credit on your other things that were making you profit. So your actual profit was not the wind itself; it was the credit. Now they built so many of those that now they've got the critical mass where wind is, I think the last number was 26, 28% of the total output in the nation. Uh, and North Dakota is in the higher end of that spectrum for, for percentage of electricity. And so they actually priced themselves out of the, the, the coal market by, by building these things. The utilities took advantage of of the tax credit system and by building the wind towers and taking that tax credit they've actually made their own coal powered fire coal fired power plants obsolete because of their own tax manipulation system hmm. and so that's why north dakota is where it is now because these companies made business decisions based off a of tax policy that was not good tax policy and and that doesn't even bring in the factor that outright subsidies for these things that was on top of the credits so you've got all these policies that were, were designed to make coal and to make oil and any carbon related uh energy obsolete by design and now north dakota is having to play this catch-up game because 
we don't want to lose those jobs. We don't want to lose the, the economic activity. And so we're, we're going to prop that up and we're going to do the green thing at the same time. I mean, it, we don't have enough money in this state. The oil industry cannot create enough money for the government to spend to make this happen. Now, you get press releases from the governor, right? Yeah. Okay. I do too. Mm-hmm. And I didn't get the press release that they hired the ESG consulting firm or got the study back or... Because didn't they just pass something in the legislature that they were going to divest themselves from ESG and then the governor vetoed it and said, kick it back and we got to do a study? What was that? Just uh, the, just a shortened version the, of that. The, they, originally, the legislature and certain legislators uh, wanted to divest the state from any fund that prioritize ESG and locked out uh, traditional energy sources. Uh, the, the, the legislature itself said, no, we're not going to do that because if we do that, our pension funds and our investment funds are co- going to collapse because there's going to be nothing left to invest in. Uh, the legislature uh, rolled it down to a study uh, and, and, and that's going to happen in the interim. The problem with this whole So the thing, study hasn't been done yet? It hasn't been done yet. Okay, okay, let's just stop but they, there. The legislature, is specifically the Senate Energy Committee, wanted to get the state of North Dakota out of investing into any fund or any company that prioritizes high ESG uh, scores in their investment model. That's everybody. All the investment firms are doing that. If they did that, there'd be nothing for the state to put their money in. There'd, there would be no earnings on the legacy fund. There'd be no earnings to speak of on the pension fund because bonds pay no, 0.2%. It's, it's, it's an example of you know, ten, 10 years ago, five years ago, it would have mattered. Now it's a reaction. Yeah. It's a reaction to something to the tune to where, okay, what, what, okay so it passed the House and it passed the Senate. And then it's in Bergham's office. Did he veto it? Was that no, what he did? no? Or I don't think he vetoed did he kick it. Kick it back or no, whatever it was. No, it, it it's. I think that it's going to be a study. And and no, it, no, no. Yeah. It ended up being a study. Yeah, but that's not how it started. Right, right. The Senate wanted it to be a study, and the the in the House they they converted it to a to a uh, no. In the Senate they wanted to actually make it policy, and then the House they converted it to a study. And I the see. conference committee agreed we'll study it. Basically, the, the, the experts in the investment office that runs the pension fund said, we can't do this okay, because I'll, of the things that I just Yeah, no, I'll, I'll go back and look at the press release I got. I'm just, I'm going off memory and it's after hours here. Yeah, but, and, but, and, but, and neither but, one of us even have a wine or a beer or anything. We've got coffee and water here at the hotel room. So And, and what you're getting at is that the legislature wants to get away from the ESG stuff and the governor is now stating that we're going full bore into well, it. Well, this is where I'm going with it is that... Um, my understanding is some sort of legislation passed that said, we're going to do a study. Mm-hmm. It started out that we're going to go away from it completely, and through calmer waters, it said, no, we're going to at least do a study or mm-hmm. kick the can, whatever you yeah. want to say. Well, a month later, <laughs> that's what I'm saying. So the study's done. This, no, is, a, this is an extremely aggressive statement to make mm-hmm. when you just said, we're going to do a study. Am I out of line for putting those dots together there? The study has not been done. It hasn't even been assigned yet. It's still in the... The legislature just left. They haven't even done their their interim assignment uh, process yet. I mean, don't don't get me started on how offended I am that they've been blowing me off on ESG for three years, and all I've been trying to do is educate them on what's coming. Yeah, 
and they've been blowing me off. Yeah, the the legislature, I, I mean, legislators that were wanting to get out of this are going to be pissed. One of the guys that was blowing me off was trying to charm himself into being an ESG expert now in this little conference. <laughs> yeah. Oh, now he's going to educate me. Okay, right. great. I adopted a highway in 2004, buddy. Beat that body of work. Anyway. Yeah, yeah. Everybody's an expert. I mean, it. I didn't know much about ESG until January this year, and I, I, I started doing digging in and found out the funds generally outperform the market by a couple percent, which matters. So ESG is is something that if it the horse is already out of the barn, and is and if oil and gas doesn't grab the narrative right now, they're screwed. I really believe that because this thing could go bonkers mm-hmm. now. There's some there's some post traumatic stress disorder the oil and gas industry has because I, I this is my new example it's like you've worked in the service industry mm-hmm. restaurants right so you know they they tell you, you you can have a perfect meal ten times and then that tenth time that person might tell one or two people right mm-hmm. you have one bad meal out of a hundred and that person's going to go tell three or ten and then it's going to yeah. spiral and spiral and spiral yeah. I think that's a little bit about the uh, PR with oil and gas, especially after Colorado, New York, and California, where I my contention is a lot of what oil and gas has done has been actually helping the planet survive, mm-hmm. helping humans survive on the planet. The planet ain't going anywhere. We right. are, right? Yeah. So for me, I think actually if they told their story more, that would satisfy the ESG stuff and they'd be ahead of it. Right. But the transparency part... I think is difficult them is di- <laughs> the transparency part is difficult for them to do. Mm-hmm. I think the social part is difficult for them to understand. Yeah. Ironically, I think they got the environmental thing down pretty good to be honest. I mean, they've <laughs> they they continually make things better and better. Listen, again, I come from ag, GMOs, pesticides. We got all kinds of problems over there. But at the end of the day, people want to eat. Yeah. And at the end of the day, people want to turn their light switch on. And so if you're doing a balance sheet, it's not even close in my mind compared to a lot of the other stuff. So anyway, that's where I'm coming from when, when we have a lot of this. But I'll just hand it off to you, and you can comment. Or the, the, the industry, the oil industry, coal industry, every industry has a problem and is bad at being proactive about doing things until they're forced to do it or bribed to do it. You know, Either the, the government regulates them into doing what they probably knew they should have done to begin with, or the government subsidizes them into it, by, and that's a bribery. Uh, industry needs to learn how to do its own thing and figure out how to make the, the economics work without the government either forcing them or bribing them. Sorry, the frackleberry hound is really getting on me there. <laughs> it gets a little distracting, so I apologize. Lay down. Lay down. Go remediate. Go remediate. Go recycle. Teaching her recycling. She goes out in the water and grabs trash and comes back. Oh, yeah? Yeah, yeah. Oh, she's our mascot. Frackleberry Hound's our mascot. She travels with me. Everything. So, uh, so actually, so a couple examples of ESG that we were showing at the trade show was we have these business cards that are embedded with wildflower seeds. Okay? I'll give you, I'll give you a copy of one here. I'll, I'll just give one to you, and you can plant it. But what we're telling people is that this is an example of ESG. You still can use your business card, but look at there's seeds in there. So when it gets thrown away as litter, it doesn't have that glossy, 
you know, bad for the environment, matte blah, gloss or whatever the heck's yeah. on there that they complain about. No, this actually grows seeds, you know. And get, guess what? You can't do it without industry. Right. You can't put those seeds in there, make that card without industry. So it just solved that problem. The other one I was talking about was the industrial forest that we're doing. 50% of the trees planted in the United States in the last 20 years by government and by nonprofits have died in the first year. They don't water them. They take the Instagram photo and move on. Mm-hmm. Industry can solve that problem, too. We build a sustainability shed. We build a critical pipeline system. We make sure those trees get water every day for three years, once a week for a, 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 two years after that, and then they're consuming carbon all the time. And I'm going to mention this right now. Folks, we have got to pull back on making carbon the boogeyman. My goodness, these kids are going to be afraid of the building block of life known as carbon. We have to figure. I mean, I'm. T- do you know what I'm talking yeah, about? This is getting yeah. out of hand. Yeah, it, it, it's it's been uh, marketed. You know, when when I was a kid growing up, you know, I, I was in the generation that grew up on Weekly Reader and Captain Planet, and and that's where a lot of this started. Uh, as far as as trying to convince everybody, you know, when when I was in kindergarten or so in 1988. Uh, it was the ozone layer. There's always a boogeyman, and it's always a moving goalpost. And now it's carbon's bad. Never mind that. That's how trees breathe, and and all these sorts of things. I mean, the the industry really could, because it's got all this infrastructure for water for itself for fracking, could dual purpose that to water the trees and build forests. I mean, the joke that that I was making this session. Um, I was only half joking. If we're going to spend a hundred or five hundred million dollars uh, to to uh, address the carbon issue uh, and and sequester carbon, you know, maybe we should just terraform North Dakota and make it a forested state. You know, it it would be a lot more effective. Well, maybe that's the plan. They're going to turn New York and New Hampshire into solar panels. <laughs> yeah, we can, right? we can turn North Dakota. We can get some trees finally, and people can stop complaining that we don't have any trees. Well, the industrial forest is going to build a tree uh, forest right here in Bismarck, North Dakota. Mayor Bakken was at our booth, and we had a couple meetings with him today as well for the industrial forest. And great, great uh, response. People really like the idea, uh, the sustainable forest, you know. And, and the other thing too, which is, and I've got these water bottles with logos on them. Mm-hmm. That's going to bite them. That's going to bite them. Well, you, you're you a shoestring kind of a company, okay? Yeah. I mean, you know, I mean, you, you have good years and bad years, but you've shoestringed like I have many years. You know what Google free images are. Mm-hmm. You, you know what free downloads you can do. You also know what gets you sued. Right. You know what I mean? So I, that, I, I'm worried that some of these... Uh, um, what do we want? I don't know. Guerrilla journalists? I don't even know what they're called online anymore. Troll journalists? <laughs> I mean, because their intention is to say F you. Right. <laughs> so it's not to help anymore. Mm-hmm. Uh, not all are like that, but I suppose it's just the modern version of whatever uh, National Enquirer would be, you know? Yeah. I mean, it was bloggers, and, and then you, you've got the whole industry of, of the political organizations who, who created their own journalists. I mean, I, I say that my job is half journalism, half lobbying. You know, and I, I try to balance it. I, my, my goal is to 
establish the facts so that whoever I'm talking to, there's no disagreement on what the facts are. Then, we'll, then I will tell you what I think we should do about it. We're not going to always agree on where to go, but we need to agree on the facts. And, and we now in America, the biggest problem is that people can't agree on what the facts are because they can't trust either the mainstream media or the, the specialized media that, that are bought and paid for by one special interest or another. So we're going to have to have you back because I want to uh, find out about that Greta Thunberg mural that is in Fargo, North Dakota. I don't know. It's like 50 feet tall or... 75 feet tall or three. I don't think it's that big, but I know. But yeah. every time I talk, every time I say it, it grows. The fish story yeah, grows. Just, yeah. Exactly. By the end of it, it's it's four miles tall because, <laughs> and you can see it from never mind. You can um, see it from the moon. But it's it's interesting. <laughs> uh, just kind of some of the off the air conversation we had about how that ended up in Fargo. So it's a little bit of a tease, folks. That we're going to have Dustin back to talk about how the Greta Thunberg mural went from Bismarck, North Dakota to Fargo through a artist and Greta's never set foot in Fargo. So it's interesting that, you know, that's where it ended up. Yeah. But uh, anyway, we'll talk about that for another day, but just kind of wrapping up here in uh, kind of the last day of the Williston Basin Petroleum Conference. And uh, I don't, did you catch anything else? Any, any other uh, uh, news or any nuggets of information, any texts or anything that stood out? I mean, uh, we were asking people about climate tax. Did you uh, have you seen anything from anybody on climate tax lately? Not specifically. I have noticed, like I said, that industry people are now have gone from being opposed to cap and trade to being for some sort of a carbon tax system, some sort of carbon trade market, stock market, cryptocurrency, something where they can profit off of it. Mm-hmm. They, they they complain that there's no value in the carbon yet, and. The one thing in all of this discussion about sequestration is how much energy is it going to take to sequester the carbon? And where is that going to come from? Do we have the ability? I mean, it's going to, you have to compress it. And I don't even know how they're going to do it, but it's going to take a certain number, a level of energy to do that. Are we going to be running these power plants to, to power the entity that compresses and can, confines the carbon? So it's kind of like a perpetual motion machine. I'm pretty sure the state's going to spend a lot of money with the same people trying to figure right. out how. Right, right. And, and it, Probably it, funnel it through university. Right. Yeah. I mean, and, and, and as long as it's not their money, they will spend it. And, and that's where we come back to the issue of this is not about one industry or another being good or bad. This is about the taxpayers and the public. And should we as taxpayers be paying for either side to do their business that's going to pro- they're going to profit from and we're going to pay the bill. That's the problem. We should we should be against socialism for everybody. Well, I think it's a good spot to end it right there. So better give yourself a plug how people can support your cause and uh, everything we're we're actually we're adding you to our sponsors because you do such good work for us that that way there's some links on the website now. So if somebody wants to donate some money to uh, Dustin's cause, they can certainly access his website through our sponsorship page. But what is it? Give it out to the public. It is watchingnd.com. We're we're rehabbing it, but uh, you can click there and uh, uh, sign up for our newsletter, sign up to donate some cash, help us keep going. Uh, it's tax deductible. You know, everybody likes to get uh, a tax deduction. So if you're worried about your government, uh, we're the guys in North Dakota to, uh, to help uh, keep an eye on it for you.